Welcome to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast, where you will learn how to identify, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around and operate mobile home parks. And now, here is your host, the fifth largest mobile home park owner in the United States, Frank Rolf. We've talked about piles of debris. We've talked about crazy mountain men in diapers chasing me down the street. We've talked about deals that had no P&L, no rent roll, but we're gonna do something even rougher now. This next turnaround in our five-part tough turnaround series is a park over in Illinois, and this thing looked like something straight out of one of those war movies. You know the ones where they show Berlin after the war, just a bunch of smoking ruin? Picture that in mobile home park form, because that's exactly what this was. Here's how the deal went down. It was a mom and pop who had this property. and They just let it fall into complete abject ruin. I'm not really sure why, but they just did. When trees fell down, they didn't even pick them up. When people threw their trash on the ground, they didn't even pick it up. When people abandoned their mobile home, they didn't even attempt to find another resident. If the home burned, they just let it sit there as an incredible hulk. So picture absolute abject destruction. That's all you saw when you entered the property was just piles of debris, broken homes with broken windows. It would scare virtually anybody off. However, there was one appealing feature to the, to the deal. It had really, really low cost. They were only asking about $5,000 a space. And let's go over what that means. If you were to build a mobile home park today in America, you'd be looking at spending roughly $15,000 per pad, plus soft costs, plus land. So this very park that was being offered at $5,000 a pad would cost to build new today probably more like twenty dollars to $25,000 a pad. So $5,000 is an incredible bargain. I think we would all agree with that. We also found that the property had one unique feature. At one time, it had been a really, really nice property. It had great bones. You know, people always talk about bones. What does bones mean? Bones mean when you look through all the clutter and debris and all the distractions, what kind of infrastructure does it have? And this one had concrete curb, paved streets, had everything. It even had a giant top-of-the-line clubhouse, not in its current form. Currently, it was just filled with junk. But at one time, this place had been really, really fancy. There had been a pool behind the clubhouse, but it had been totally filled in. It had green spaces for residents to congregate and, and, uh, and enjoy nature with picnic tables and stuff. So it had some really great features to it but it was probably the roughest turnaround physically that I had ever seen. So what do we know on the front end on the property? We know that it's cheap. There's an item number one, but we also know as a result of it being so cheap and in such bad repair, it does need a ton of capital. When you're trying to buy a property like that, one of the first things you need to do to restrain yourself from making a terrible decision is do some ballpark calculations of what will it cost to clean this thing up. It's no different than if you're looking at buying a certain kind of car, a classic car. Let's say you want to buy a 1970s Dodge Challenger. It's not so much what you're paying for the Dodge Challenger on the front end if it's an old rust bucket, but what will it cost to redo the floor and put in new seats and repaint the car and that type of item? In this case, the good news was the most expensive feature of the mobile home park itself was not too bad, and that's the roads. The roads needed some pothole repair, but they were generally in good condition. Roads can be very, very expensive. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in this case would have been needed to replace the roads, but the roads weren't too bad. 
So that helped hugely. Some of the ugliest things in mobile home parks really aren't that expensive if you think about it. If you've got a pile of debris on every single lot, that's a roll-off dumpster. It's some guys, it's some labor, but you could probably get all that cleaned off within a couple of weeks. That's exactly what we did here. I think we ended up taking away, I want to say, something like 30 or 40 uh, roll-off dumpster loads of trash and debris. The bulk of it probably tree material, limbs and actual giant trees that had fallen over over time. So we were able to get the cleanup done for not a huge amount of money, not, not cheap, but nothing like the roads would have cost. The next item on the list we had to do was get all of the trees fixed. We had to take down all the dead trees and dead tree limbs. And again, there were a lot of them. The park had a whole lot of trees, but we were able to get that done. So we were able to physically get the thing in a, in a fairly sightly condition on a somewhat limited budget. We put in new signage. We fixed the fence that ran down the frontage of the property put in some feather flags, generally spruced things up, went to the clubhouse, took all the debris out of that, put in some inexpensive carpet that was fairly attractive, painted all the walls, made that back into an area that you could use for a community event. So all those items in the end still made the price appealing. So you got to make sure you budget for those accurately and correctly. But in this case, even when you add in all those additional costs, since we were only paying 5000 per space on the front end for it, that all seemed to work. So now the next problem is, what do you do with the tenant base, which you can't build around? This property had a lot of residents who had not paid rent in years. Even though mom and pop did bill them, they did not evict people. And that's one of the worst things you can do as a park owner. If you want to really ruin your property, don't enforce collections. Every park out there should use a no pay, no stay strategy. It's the only fair way to make sure that people who want to live there pay to live there, and for those who do pay the rent, that they're not being uh, discriminated against because everyone has to pay. It's not fair for people to be paying rent when others don't pay. So first thing we had to do was we had to make sure that the folks in there could afford to pay, and we lost a lot of people. We lost out of that property probably 50 people once we let them know that they had to pay their rent every month. So 50 folks basically left and abandoned their homes in there faced with the idea that they actually had to pay rent. We also had a bunch of undesirable folks in there who were making drugs. We knew that they were. We had met with the police before buying the property, and they advised us there were some bad folks in there. First time I drove through the park, people came out on their, in front of their mobile homes, and they would put their hands on what was clearly a gun inside their pocket uh, to try and uh, you know scare me that they, they were the boss and then, uh, the park did, had lost control. And of course, it's not true. The park owns the land. It can non-renew their lease. But for some reason, they thought they were powerful, but it didn't work. We non-renewed them. And what really kind of ended the entire drug issue was the manufacturing uh, home in the park blew up and burned to the ground. It was a double wide. And that kind of set off the exodus of all the people who were, who were in the drug trade the, from leaving the property. So pretty soon we had the thing, as we spoke about on our last tough turnaround discussion, we had the thing stabilized. We only had residents in there who were paying the rent, who understood that we were trying to run a business, that we're trying to have pride of ownership in there. So we had people that were good. We got rid of all the dead wood, all the folks who wouldn't pay or didn't want to behave. They were all gone. And we cleaned up the property as best we could and made it back to being a clean and sightly place. But then, of course, you come to the next part of the tough turnaround mantra, and that's maximize. So now we've stabilized, but now we have to maximize. So what do you do? Well, we had a lot of vacant homes. 
When you have a lot of vacant homes, what you have to do is you have to go in those homes and you have to grade them. A, B, C, D, F, just like you do in school. An F home means it's not salvageable. It's in such poor condition, you might as well destroy it. Number one cause of a home being getting an F grade is a lot of moisture intrusion, which is allowed to black mold and other issues which are not safe for humans to live in. So those homes all got an F designation and they were scrapped. When you scrap a home like that, you literally just bring a roll-off dumpster out. You hire someone who has basically a bobcat. They strike the wall of a couple times with the bobcat and the home basically collapses. They break it apart and put it in the dumpster. So all those homes were scrapped. Though with that leftist then were homes that were ranked A, B, C, and D. A home means it just needs cleaning. B home means light renovation. C home means average renovation, which in our industry is about $4,000 parts and labor. D home, however, needs up to $10,000 of repair. And often the D homes ultimately end up being scrapped. So we basically went and graded our homes, cleaned up the A's first, the B's second, and the C's next, which of course makes complete logical sense because you're racing the clock to get the revenue going. And we ran the ads and we started having people come in and move into those homes. So over time, we got all of the homes that were decent occupied and those that were not worthy of saving demolished and removed. So where are we now in that part of the movie? Because this is still a turnaround in progress. Where we are now is we're now in the filling the lot mode. We've got a lot of vacant lots in this property. So what we're doing is we're bringing in used and new homes, advertising those homes and trying to find folks who want to buy or rent these homes in a park that is now becoming a nice, presentable part of the overall equation. How long will it take us to fill the lots? So we've got probably around 150 vacant lots in this property. So based on any kind of actuarial table of fill, you know, this park can probably fill about two units a month. So it's still probably five years out from being full. But we're not even sure we're going to use all the lots. In some of the cases, the lots are so small, we'll probably combine them together. So we'll put one home across two lots. So at the end of the movie, we'll probably will not end up utilizing one home on each lot. We'll sometimes have one home spread across two lots, in some cases, maybe as many as three lots. We may also establish at some point a section of that park that allows for RVs. It's allowed under our city permit. So to do RVs, we'll probably take one section where we have a lot of vacant lots together, put a little white vinyl fencing perhaps and its own little identity, maybe a little RV lot sign in front of that, and make that in its own standalone RV park inside of the mobile home park. We may also over time take some of the vacant lots and make them into other uses. You know, it's important in today's world. Remember from that Time Magazine article that a mobile home park is the gated community for the less affluent to offer as many consumer amenities as you can. So it may be over time that we take some of those vacant lots and congregate them and make them into things like park and store areas where you can put RVs and boats or possibly just further additional playground areas for people. So I'm not even going to say for sure that all those lots will ultimately have a home on them at all. Some of them may find other uses. That's kind of where we're at in the movie. So basically, once again, what's the mantra? How do you do a tough turnaround? Well, first you stabilize the property. You get rid of all the bad things, all the debris, all the abandoned burned up homes, all the stairs, all the trash. You get all that off property. You also make sure that all the residents that you're going to have living in there are paying their rent every month and are playing by the rules and are part of the overall picture of making the property a nice place for people to live. Then you go from the stabilizing section to the maximizing section. What that means is you take all the vacant homes, all the vacant lots, all the vacant structures, and you try and make those income producing. It's absolutely critical. 
Now, what made us tackle a deal of this magnitude? Because again, this is the physically roughest property that I've never been involved in. I think what made it possible was number one, the location was good. Not the best location we've ever seen, but it's a residential area in a town that we're just minutes away from major shopping areas, lots of different employers for our kind of residents. So the location was good. The infrastructure was great. The roads were very solid. We have concrete curb and gutter. We had the clubhouse, which although at the time was a detriment, today is an asset. So we liked the infrastructure a lot. We also loved the fact that the economics of the, of the lots being so cheap, and despite the fact that we had to put so much money into the cleanup mode, the lot still came out at a fraction of what it would cost to build the park new. We also just love the overall picture that at the end of the movie, when we get done, we'll have a large, large property with nice features. I mean, the clubhouse alone would impress any banker or appraiser. Parts of it have two-story ceilings in it. So we really love the fact that, that we could see the end product in our minds, and we still do currently, but when we get completely finished with it, it's going to be a very nice property. Now, will it ultimately be REIT quality, top of the line, five-star? Probably not. Probably not based on its location and the age of a lot of the homes. It certainly would never be something that would be on the cover of a mobile home magazine. But it still will be a very nice, functioning kind of subdivision for folks living in the city that want something that's a nice alternative to apartments. So there's definitely, there's a need for it in the market. There's demand for it in the market. But one other point, this property, one thing that's really aided our turnaround in this tough turnaround is our selection of the manager. We were very, very lucky to find someone that shared our vision. In fact, it's the manager from another mobile home park in that same market. We went to them and we were looking for someone who would want to manage the property and they kind of liked the challenge of bringing it back to life because in many ways they could use a little creativity to make this property different. Normally when you manage a property, it's already a done thing and you, you don't really have any ability to actually impact any value add yourself. But in this case, the manager is kind of shaping the future for all these residents and really enjoying that feature. So the manager has been hugely helpful. Not only did they know the market and not only are they, are they a great manager, but they're really excited about the creativity of making this a nice place yet to live again. So overall, we're very happy with the way that it's been progressing. But this one is, unlike the ones we've mentioned so far, turnarounds is still very much in progress. But I thought it would be an interesting contrast with the others because this one, again, came from an area of being so very rough on the front end. It would certainly scare off most people who might have driven through it. But when you see turnaround situations like that, you have to look through all the clutter you have to look through what could this be? Can I, can I budget appropriately for the capital cost to make it what it could be? Can I go ahead and make the payments on the note until I can get it there? And if the answer is yes to all those categories, then maybe that tough turnaround is for you. On our final, in our fifth part, on our five-part series of turnarounds, we're going to go over one of the craziest, most complicated turnaround stories of all time. It's property over in Dallas. So tune in for that. This is Frank Roth, the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast. Be back again soon. Thank you for listening to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast. Be sure to visit us at mhpmastery.com to subscribe to the show, read our show transcriptions, and access all of our great information on mobile home park investing. 